0: Hey everyone, welcome again to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont campus in Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian. I pastor the Belmont location. It is good to talk to you again. Pastor and author John Ortberg has said that many of us spend our entire lives forgetting what we should remember and remembering what we should forget. I think most of us know that we are indeed guilty of doing just that remembering what we should forget and forgetting what we should remember. So how then do we remember what is most important in life? We're gonna talk about that today as we continue our series through the book of Joshua. In this talk, Justin Joseph does a great job talking about a time that God helped his people remember what is most important and tells us how we can remember day to day what is most important in our lives. So I hope you enjoy this and I hope you'll listen closely Because I believe that God has something he would like to say to you. Good
1: morning, everyone. Uh, If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Justin. I serve on the preaching team here at Mount Hope, and it's really an honor to be here and to see everyone this beautiful Sunday morning. As Pastor Brian mentioned, we are going to be in the book of Joshua again today in Joshua chapter 4, so if you want to keep a finger on that page, or if you don't know where it is, that's perfectly fine. We'll have the verses up on the screen in just a second But if you are new here, if you've been visiting with us uh, today or haven't been with us the last few weeks, uh, let me give you a little recap on the book of Joshua that we've been in in the last couple of weeks. At this point, uh, we're right in the story of the people of Israel, God's people that he had chosen to leave captivity and to go and travel throughout the desert. And finally, they've come to this place. And we heard about this last week. They've come to this place where they're about to cross the Jordan River and enter into this promise, this promise that's been generations in the making, that's been years in the making, and they're finally walking, stepping into the promise that God has for them. This is a glorious, amazing moment. Pastor Brian talked to us about it last week, about this miracle of the river stopping, stopping its flow and parting in the middle so that the people could walk right through that river. And today we're going to pick up that story in Joshua chapter 4. But before we do that, Let me ask you a question, and this is the question that we are going to use to guide our thoughts for today, and that question is simply this, why is it important to remember? Why is it important to remember? Now more specifically, why is it important to remember what God just did for us? Why is it important to remember what God just did for us? Memory is kind of a tricky thing, isn't it? And the older we get, the harder it is to sometimes remember, why did I just walk into this room that I just walked into? Or what was I going to do right now? Or what was I about to do later today? And that idea of memory becomes kind of a tricky thing. Memory is an interesting thing. Each of us sitting in this room has probably seen a penny thousands and thousands of times, right? we have seen a little penny, a one-cent penny. Let me show you this image right now. Can someone tell me which one is the real penny? A little tough, right? You've seen a penny thousands of times in your life. Can you tell me which one is the real one? Only one of them is an actual penny. Right? I hear some I. I hear some G. I'm sorry, Jim? B? Okay. The correct answer, I've got a little oversized penny in my pocket right here. The correct answer is A is the correct answer. Interesting, right? We've seen pennies our entire lives, and we've thought about pennies maybe never in our lives. But we've seen them, and by the way, that test that you just saw was from the one that the University of Indiana used to prove that eyewitnesses in criminal investigations are unreliable. That's one of the tests that they use. But the idea is that even though we've seen something over and over and over again doesn't mean that we actually remember what we've seen. Let me give you another test while we're in the, in the testing mode today. I'm going to show you 24 words on the screen in just a second. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to remember as many of those words as you possibly can. And after 10 seconds, we'll make the screen blank. And I want you to tell me how many of the words you remember. After the 10 seconds, if you'd like to write them down, you're welcome to do that. But let's try this out. How many of these 24 words can you get? And here they are in 10 seconds. How many can you remember? And Angie, if you don't mind turning that off, how many can you remember? (laughs) Some of you are saying one. I hear three, I hear four. Four, four is a very common one, maybe five. Out of 24 words, you have 10 seconds and you remember about four to five words. In in many cases, in short-term memory research, we find that the average person can remember somewhere between Four and nine words. If you gave a person about two minutes, they can probably remember about nine of those words. But still pretty amazing that our memories kind of fade quickly. And the more we learn about this, the more we understand that short-term memory is something that comes and goes. But unless we transfer those thoughts into our long-term memory, they don't typically stay for very long. Today, what we're going to talk about is this idea of how God wants us to move him from our short-term memory into our long-term memory. Think about what we do in the world around us so that we remember things. Now, if you look throughout history, there have been people with amazing memories, It's been said, maybe this is a legend, maybe this is true, that Alexander the Great could remember 30,000 names of his soldiers with no problem, that he built an individual relationship with so many of them that he could remember their names. History tells us that Mozart could hear a song one time and actually re-record it or repurpose it immediately just from hearing it one time. Uh, History teaches us that Winston Churchill was able to memorize many of Shakespeare's works from beginning to end as just something fun he would do. We've also known that Bill Gates is able to still to this day remember hundreds of lines of code that he wrote 30 or 40 years ago to create the amazing products that he created. Some people have incredible memories, but then there's the rest of us. And we don't have those incredible memories. So what do we do to remember in those situations? And in many cases, we build memorials is what we do. We see memorials all around us. Think about the memorials we have to our presidents. We build massive monuments to them, whether it's Mount Rushmore or the Lincoln Memorial, where you've got this great reminder of who this person was built out of stone. You cannot forget him because he's memorialized forever. We build memorials to our wives. If you think about the Taj Mahal, this is just a memorial from one king to his wife. And that was all, well, his favorite wife. And that was the, the, that's actually true. That's actually what the memorial is. We have memorials for even some of the sad things that happen in our lives and in the day around us. The 9-11 memorial in New York the Holocaust Memorial in Boston, you have the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and one of the most incredible things I've ever seen is if you ever have a chance to go to Normandy in France where, uh, where D-Day took place and the troops invaded, Nor- came onto the beaches of Normandy, the, the graves of thousands and thousands of soldiers uh, just crosses as far as the eye can see are available for you to see easily. Why? Because we believe in memorializing things and events and people and today, when we come to our passage of Scripture, here is God asking his people to create a memorial, a memorial that each of us can probably use in our lives every day. So if you have your pages turned to Joshua chapter 4, I'm going to read from verses 1 through 7, Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. We read there like this, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua. Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel Forever. If you remember where we were last week, we talked about this incredible, miraculous moment when the people of Israel cross over the Jordan River and are now standing in the place that God had promised them. I don't mean to give you a spoiler here, but a spoiler alert coming up. In a couple of weeks, they're about to experience another massive miracle when the walls of the city of Jericho, one of the most heavily fortified cities of that time, come crashing down and the people of Israel get to take over that city. Now, you've got this miracle that takes place at Jordan and this miracle that's about to take place at Jericho and somewhere in between, God has this interaction with the people of Israel. This interaction where he tells them, It's great that you just crossed this river, but I want you to stop for one minute and build a memorial to this exact moment. Remember this moment and pass it down for generations to come that God stopped the Jordan for you. God stopped a river so that you could walk through it and enter into a promised land. Somewhere between Jordan and Jericho, God asks them to stop and remember him. Today, the major idea, the major theme that we all have for us today is to remember what God has done. Now, many times in our lives, we build up memorials after the fact where we say, look, we'll put up a memorial for someone years later, weeks later, months later. But in this case, God says immediately after they crossed, he sends the priests, he sends the, the representatives from each tribe back into the river to claim those stones, come back to the other side and build this memorial. God is asking his people to remember what he has done. Today, I want to ask you this. Is there time, is there room in your life to pause and remember what God has done? If we are not taking time every day to pause and remember what God has done, we'll have a tendency to run to the very next thing or think about the next worry or the next problem that we have in our lives. Here's what we often do. God does something amazing for us. He answers a prayer. He takes care of us in a situation or provides for us in a way that we could have never imagined. And then the next thing comes, and we just worry about the next thing, or we talk about the next thing, or we focus on the next thing. We pray, God, give me a job, and he gives you the job. But rather than stopping to remember the blessing of the job, we start to think, how do I get through the stress of next week at this new job? Or how do I get a promotion at this job? And we start to think about the next thing, but God says to the people, as soon as you cross the Jordan and you're about to get this, nu- in this next victory, stop for a second. Remember the victory that you just had. Remember the miracle that was just performed. You and I are called to remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. If we build our lives in such a way where we're always thinking about the next thing, we'll have a tendency to forget that God just did something incredible in my life. And so I ask you today, are there moments, places, things in your life that remind you of what God has done? In the case of the Israelites, God asked them to build this memorial of stone so that every time you came back to it or every time your children asked about it, you could say, look, this is a reminder that we were able to cross the Jordan on dry land because of what God did. So I ask you today, are there places in your lives where you have created opportunity and space in your day to remember what God has done? Maybe that's your time in the morning where you spend a little bit of time with with God's word and where you're praying and maybe you're keeping a journal and you're remembering day by day what God has done. Maybe that's a place in your life, a walk through a certain part of nature where you can look and marvel at what God has done. Maybe there is a, a, a certain time of your week or a certain time of your day where you have a conversation where you can remember what God has done. Here's the key to it, though. Unless we are intentional about those moments, we will have a tendency to forget what God has done. See, God knew these people of Israel. He knew them. He knew that there was a simple, resp- a simple repet- repetitive cycle in their lives, that God would do something for them. They would enjoy the benefit of what God just did for them, and then they would forget God again, and then the cycle would repeat itself. But God called them to not only enjoy the blessing, enjoy the miracle, but now go and thank him for that miracle, to worship him for that miracle, to remember that miracle and carry it into the next phase of life with them. Remembering what God has done is such an important part of our lives. If you think about what we do here on a Sunday, so much of it is built around this idea that we remember what God has done. If you're with us on the first Sunday of every month, we have a time we call communion. And what that is, is Christ, if we remember Christ's sacrifice, then we actually quote his words. You've heard Pastor Brian say it, where Jesus says to, to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. There is this moment of of we're connecting with God and his sacrifice for us and what he did for us because we're remembering what he did for us. Remembering what God has done for miracles that are big and miracles that are small is such an important part of what we're called to do. And that's why we come here on a Sunday. But if all of your memory of God is just built around a Sunday morning for one hour, it tells me that there might be opportunity for all of us to build memorials and opportunities in our life to connect with God and remember what he has done. There are so many miracles that each of us can think about. Some of them are dramatic and amazing miracles. Some of them are miracles that just got us through a day, miracles that protected us for a day, simple things that we might forget in an instant, but at that moment we thought, wow, if God had not shown up for this, where would I be today? We have people sitting in this room right now who are a testimony to amazing miracles that God has done. Miracles like being diagnosed with cancer several times and every single time God performing a miracle. We have families in this church who sit here that have had struggles with making ends meet, families who have had struggles with substance abuse and addiction and watched God heal and perform miracles in those cases. We've had sicknesses and diseases that we've seen healed miraculously by the hand of God, and every single time we thank God for it. But the, answer, the question today is, why is it important to remember those miracles? Why is it important to remember the moments that God led us through when we had no other hope or no other way through that specific moment? You see, it's important for all of us to pause and remember what God has done, to remember the things that he has led us through, whether they were 50 years ago or if they were this past week, to remember what he has done. But it's interesting in this same passage that it's not enough that we just pause and remember for the sake of nostalgia or pause and remember just because that's the thing to do. But there's something very specific that's listed here, and you found that in verse 6 and 7, specifically where it says like this, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. It's not enough that we pause and remember Pause is one step, but step two is we have to pass on that remembrance, to pass on the miracle, pass on the promise that God has given us. So Many of you have heard the news these past couple of weeks where a very, very famous evangelist and preacher, Billy Graham, passed away a couple of weeks ago, and we watched his funeral and all of these amazing memories of what he was able to accomplish. One of his quotes that I always love to hear is a reminder to all of us. The quote simply goes like this. The greatest legacy that one person can pass on to his or her children and grandchildren is not money or material things, but rather a legacy of character and faith. Think about this for a second. God calls us to not just remember him when it comes to a promise. He calls us to pass that memory on to the next generation. And I know this can be a tough one for many of us sitting in the room right now. Many of us are going through struggles with this. How do we make sure our children, now whether that's your own children or your nephews or nieces or children that you know or your friends' children, how do we make sure the next generation knows what God did in this generation? How do we pass it on? Again, the answer is it has to be intentional. There has to be an intentionality in how you interact with the next generation in order to pass on this promise. Because as each generation came in Israel, there was a disconnect from the previous generation. Yeah, you guys walked across the Red Sea. Well, I didn't get to see that, so that's not my thing anymore. And so there was a disconnect between the last generation and this generation. And here was God saying, don't let there be a disconnect any longer. What happened to you should be a memory to every generation after you that this was God's doing. It was marvelous, and it was wonderful, and as a result, you should remember this at this time. We have to make it intentional that we pass on the promises, pass on the miracles that God has done in our lives. It must be intentional. That means we must have intentional conversations. I was talking to a friend recently who was telling me about the amount of money and time he devotes to youth sports with his children, about how much time and money he devotes. And that's not a bad thing. That's a terrific thing. But in my mind, I was thinking how much we as a culture devote to things like playing well and being safe and for our kids to do well academically and for our kids to find success, great jobs and make a ton of money, but how little time we spend devoted to passing on our faith to them, to passing on our promises to them, to passing on the miracles of God to them. Unless we are intentional about those things, those things will just come and go and it'll be something that happened to someone in the distant past. And so God says, build this memorial and let people forever come back and see that God was good to you at the Jordan. God was good to you at this time when you needed a miracle. It has to be intentional. When our faith grows weak and we are weak when it comes to passing on our faith, our children's faith will be weak and our children will be weak in the long run. We must pass on the faith, pass on the miracles that God has given us. So I encourage each of you, especially parents in the room, Let your children see you reading God's word. Let your children see you praying. Let your children be a part of that situation in your lives day to day. Have intentional conversations with them about their faith. Make it something that's real to them and not just something that happened in the distant past. Make it real to each of them. Remember what God has done. Now, it would be beautiful if we just ended right there. Remember what God has done and stop there. But I believe this passage of Scripture teaches us something so powerful that when God performs miracles and he asks us to remember them, they are not just for the past. I believe wholeheartedly they are meant for us to walk in our faith today. That's why I believe we need to remember what God has done as a reminder that he is not done. We need to remember what God has done as a reminder that he is not done I don't know if you've ever seen those commercials. Uh, it's usually for a mutual fund or for some financial institution. And then they have the very fast speak at the end of the commercial to tell you everything we just said was a lie kind of a thing where they'll quickly give you all of the disclaimer language right at the end. Well, if you watch most of those commercials, they have this line at the end where they'll say, past performance is not indicative of future results. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Here's another way to say that. Just because we did it before doesn't mean we'll get to do it again. That's what that means. But in God's economy, in God's language, it's the opposite. God is telling his people, I've done this for you before, and you can bank on me doing this again for you. The memorial was built up so that you can remember, I parted the Red Sea for you. I parted the Jordan for you. I brought water out of a rock for you. I helped you defeat the Egyptian army for you. I performed miracle after miracle in front of you to get you to a certain place. I don't want you to forget that as you pass that certain place, I am still powerful. I am still able. I am still strong enough to come through for you. This is why it's important for us to remember. Remember what God has done, but remember that he is not done with each one of us. Think about King David, and you know the story if you've been through the Bible before. David, before he was ever king, was David of David and Goliath fame, where he, a young boy, went up against a giant in this battle. And if you remember how David justifies himself to the king at the time, whose name was Saul, if you remember how David justifies himself, how did David know that he could defeat this giant in this battle? Here were David's words. He says like this. David says to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep, when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. Where does David's confidence come from? David's confidence comes from that past experience with God. It comes Comes from, hey, look, I faced a lion and I beat him through God. I faced a bear and I beat him through God. When this man comes up against me, who will I trust, my own ability or will I beat him through God? It was this constant belief that what God did for me in the past is good for me today also. That God has not changed. His miracles haven't changed. His power hasn't changed. My belief in him may have changed, but he has not changed. For each of us sitting here today, the miracles of the past, the wonders of the past, the things that God led you in the past were part of a story, were part of a journey that God is accomplishing through each of you. It wasn't something you just remember from the past. It's something that you live on and bank on even today because each of us are going through a journey. And along the way of that journey, you will experience miracles. And each of us in our own way are somewhere between Jordan and Jericho right now, between the last miracle and the next miracle. And God is asking us to stop and remember him in the midst of that. I received an email a couple of weeks ago that helped me remember this far more probably in this last couple of weeks than I've been thinking about it probably for the months and years before that. That God is not done with us when he performs a miracle. It's not just to get us through a moment, but that there's a bigger purpose behind that moment. I'll share that email with you in just a minute. But I hope you'll allow me to share a little bit of my own personal story with experiencing God's hand in my life and what that meant for me long term and how it changed my view on God himself I was raised in a very, very devout Christian family. I think most of you have met my parents. You know how strong they are in their belief and their faith. It doesn't mean I was always that way, but my parents were, and I was raised in that kind of a family. I'd seen miracles from God. I'd seen his hand do things. Some of you have known the story of my own father who was in a coma for 17 days and came back even though he was supposed to be dead, and all those stories you've heard before. God performs miracles. I've seen that happen. Doesn't mean I always war- walked that way or believed it that way. When I was 17 years old, I was applying to go to college right after high school, and I was accepted into a very good school in New York, very, very close to my house, and I had a scholarship to go there too. So this was great. Everything was set, my life was ready to go, it was made. Scholarship, college, good to go. It was about three weeks before I was about to go to orientation for that school that the school gave me a call and said, Mr. Joseph, uh, we regret to inform you that the program you applied for has been cut from our curriculum. And now I'm stuck thinking, wait a second, three weeks to go, what do I do at this point? They said, look, we will consider you for another program, which I really had no interest in, or we'll wish you the best of luck as you apply to another school, Three weeks before school is supposed to start or orientations are supposed to begin. And so for one of the first times in my life, I remember thinking, God, I need a miracle at this point. Something needs to happen for this to work out for me. And so I went through my list of other schools that I would applied to and been accepted to, and I thought, let me go reach out to them and see if they might take this student that rejected them, take them back, even if it means I have to crawl on my hands and knees, I'll beg to go back to one of those schools. The problem was, though, is that I could not afford to go to any one of those other schools. The one school that had given me the scholarship was the one that I could afford to go to, and so I needed them to not only accept me back, I needed them to give me a ton of money to go to those schools as well. And so I went through the list, and of course, one of the schools on that list was Boston University, and I went back to BU, and my dad drove me up that day, and we talked in the car about God doing miracles, and I still remember this conversation We walked into the school, we walked into the admissions office, and I asked them, will you still accept me and allow me to come back? And they miraculously said, yes, we will. Now, they probably had someone who just dropped out or something, and they needed me to come fill the spot, but they said they would accept me. Now came the miracle question. The question was, hey, I thank you so much for accepting me. Can you also pay, like, my whole tuition, too, while I come here? And that idea of even asking that question seemed impossible, And so I asked the question to the financial aid advisor, and the gentleman looks at me, and he says, there's no way. There's no way we can give you any financial aid on top of the acceptance that you've just received an acceptance that you did not deserve. And so we walked out of there, and I remember turning back to the financial aid advisor, and I said one last time, is there anything you can do to let me come to this school? Anything. And he said, no. And here were his words. Outside of a miracle... Those are his words. Outside of a miracle, there is no way we can give you financial aid to this college. And so I said, what if I wrote to the president of the university and asked him to help me out with this situation? He said, good luck. Outside of a miracle, there is no way you're getting financial aid to this school, but we will take you into our program. And so I got back in the car with my dad, and we drove home, and we spoke about miracles again. The idea of, can God do miracles in situations like this? I got home, prayed for a little while, prayed for a miracle, and I started to write a letter to the president of the university, and I actually did it. Wrote a letter to the president, sent the letter. Mind you, I have about three weeks before orientations begin. I have classes a couple of weeks after that. I have to figure out the next step of my life. Wrote the letter, waited. About four days later, I got a phone call from the president's office at Boston University. And the, and the phone call said, sir, uh, you're going to have a letter coming into your mail soon. It's from uh, President Westling. That was his name at the time. President Westling will be sending you a, a letter very soon. Uh, but we just want to let you know that the letter's in the mail. Can you tell me what's in the letter? Uh, no, sir, I can't tell you that. That's from the president's uh, desk. I can't tell you what that is. So I was anticipating and praying again for a miracle to take place. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I opened up that letter that came a couple of days later, and it said, Mr. Joseph, we're so excited that you could join us here at Boston University. If you'll allow me, I will pay half of your tuition to come here to the university. And I think about it even to this moment because his office paid half of my tuition to come to that school, and I thought, wow, what an amazing miracle. What an amazing, amazing miracle. And, And so I knew now that God is setting me up for a journey here. Now, I didn't think about it at the time, but when I look back 21 years later, God was setting me up on a journey. A journey that would involve that school, that would involve that city, that would involve this place that we live in, a place that I had no intention of coming to or no intention of living in, that he would drive me into that place. So I get to be you. Now, I understood that the president was paying half my tuition, but I still had to figure out the other half. And so I started working odd uh, jobs. I started working as a dishwasher at the Corner Mall on Park Street, if you guys can picture where that is. And I was working as a dishwasher, and my wife will testify, I don't wash dishes, well at all. But this was a job that I had to do to make my $4.50 an hour to pay towards whatever books I could afford or whatever I could do. And so I'm scrubbing pots and pans in the back of this little food court area. And I remember one night, as I'm taking out the trash through this long alleyway to a dumpster, I open the dumpster, and there's this giant rat sitting there. And I'm just thinking, why is my life like this right now? And I threw the garbage, and I thought to myself, God, did you do that miracle that I would do this one day? And I I remember how you can question miracles at that moment. And you can think, did you bring me here so that I would just end up doing this? I don't wanna fill in all the blanks, but so many incredible things happen. Shortly after that, I made a friend over at BU, a friend that uh, would invite me to an InterVarsity Christian Fellowship meeting. And so I went to this uh, campus ministry meeting at at Boston University, made this friend. This friend introduced me to his boss who got me an office job at BU, a, a job just working admissions kind of a thing met some people there who would become lifelong friends that would change the the trajectory and the course of my life and some of the things that I would do. And it was at this time that I finished graduating, got this job, and then I left again. I left Boston, went back to New Jersey to go work and live there, and, and it was at this time I couldn't find a job. And September 11th happens, and the economy crashes, and there's nothing for me to do at that point And some of those same friends that I made years earlier invited me to come back to graduate school at BU. And here's the best part. They said, we'll pay for all of your tuition for you to come back to school here. And so again, God's miracle brings me back to Boston University somehow. And so I came back to this place and I start working there and learning there and continuing my life. And I leave BU after graduate school and go back to New Jersey again. And I I start to work there and I start to live there and everything is going the same as usual. And then I start praying for the next miracle God, please let someone marry me. That was a, going to be a miracle, for real. <laughs> and and I start praying these prayers, and I start hoping and praying for a miracle, and I meet this incredible, incredible woman. It's actually a Lynn, but... Uh, <laughs> so I meet this incredible woman, and, and God is answering this prayer, and she was in her final year of medical school at the time when, I'm, when I meet her, and we have this amazing decision we have to make. If we are going to go forward with our relationship you kind of have to come with me wherever I go. Here's what happens. In the fourth year of medical school, you kind of get thrown into this lottery where you have to get placed wherever this administration places you. So that could be any city in the country. Any city in the country. Where does Lynn get placed? Boston. And so again, I pick up from New York and New Jersey and I move back here to Boston. Uh, we get married and we, we start this life here in Boston. Shortly after that, this opportunity through the very same people I met 21 years earlier, an opportunity to teach at Boston University comes up. And I take that position, I take that role. And again, one by one, the miracles were leading to something. They were leading to something the whole time. And I got to see it step by step. Now, one of the great things about teaching at BU is that you have an opportunity to be a faculty advisor for some great campus organizations. So if you're familiar with Jean and Lynn Breitenbach, they lead up an amazing organization uh, called Chi Alpha or Above the Haze, and so I get to be their faculty advisor there. But there's another group, the same group that I went to 20 years earlier, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, that also allows me to be their faculty advisor. And as faculty advisor, you get invited to speak at these conferences. And and so I was speaking at a a young students' conference uh, in Massachusetts last year. After I was done with my talk, a student, a young Chinese woman, came up to me and said, "Uh, that was my first time hearing about Jesus the way you just shared it. Can I ask you some questions? And so for the next hour, she and I sat down together and spoke about the love of Jesus, about who he is, what it means to follow Christ. She was invited there by one of her roommates who just said, do you have anything to do this weekend? Why don't you come? And so we had spoken for hours together, and by the end of the conversation, I gave her my business card, and I said, just email me if you have any other questions, and she did. She emailed for a couple of weeks, and we we went back and forth answering some of her tough questions she had about Jesus, and then I didn't hear anything for about nine, ten months. I didn't hear anything from her until an email that I just got a couple of weeks ago, and I want to share that email with you. It's dated January 20th, 2018. Dear Professor Joseph, hopefully you had a wonderful winter break. It's really been a long time since we first met at the Radiant conference in 2017. During the last year, a lot has happened in my life, but I'm so excited to share a big change in my life. I've given my heart to Jesus and decided to become a Christian. When I think about how I became a Christian, the fact that I met you at Radiant and the conversations we had often occur to me. Thank you for sharing your own love for Jesus with a stranger that day. Sincerely, Shannon. Why did God allow me to get into BU 21 years earlier? Do we see what the miracles do? That they add up and they lead to a journey that ultimately ends with someone coming to Jesus, with someone's life being changed forever. Now, I'm not saying they end there. I believe it's just beginning that more is to come after this. But do we understand that our miracles, the miracles that we experience, are not just for us to get through a situation, that they're meant for this grander plan that God has to get us to the promised land that we are destined to get to. And if we start treating miracles as just me getting through my situation, if we start treating miracles as me making my life more convenient, more easy, more simple, less stressful... Will forget the God who's in the center of the miracle, the God who has a plan throughout the miracle, the God that has a plan beyond the miracle, and that's why God says to the people of Israel, set up this memorial right in front of yourselves today so that for generations you will remember that God did something miraculous on your way to the promised land, on your way to the destiny that he has for you, that each of us have to see God not just as this person or this thing that helped my parents or helped a previous generation or did things for people long ago, but this is my God and he handles my needs and he takes care of me, he takes care of my family, but not just so that our lives can be easier, but so that he can unfold a plan in his life. I would never have met Shannon had I not taught in that school. I would have never taught in that school had I not met the people in between that God put in my life. I would have never met those people had I never not been accepted to those other programs or not gotten that financial aid from those other places. All of those steps were so that God could be glorified in the midst of a miracle. And that's why we remember God and we remember that he is not done done with us. God is not done with any of us sitting here right now. If you look at the final verses in that chapter, verses 21 onwards goes like this. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. The hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. My favorite fact in that verse is that none of it in that end is in past tense. It says there like this, the hand of the Lord is powerful. Not that it was powerful, it is powerful. And that you will always fear the Lord your God. This is why God did what he was doing for those people. The miracles that he was doing was not for their past to look back nostalgically and wax poetic about look what God once did for us. It's for you to live your life today, knowing that same God is in your life, that he is still able, that he is still powerful, that he is still almighty, that he is still loving, that he wants to take you from where you are today into where he needs you to be. And sometimes there will be a Jordan in your way that needs to be crossed. And after he miraculously leads you over that river, don't Don't go on to the next thing. Pause and remember what he just did for you. Pass on what he just did for you and then go into the next miracle. You and I right now are between the Jordans and the Jerichos of our life. That means miracle one and miracle two. We're all between that somewhere. But as we live day by day here, remember what God has done. Remember what he has done, but also pass on what he has done because there will be a day when he will do it again in a different way, in a better way. It's up to him, but he will do it again. Today is going to be a little bit of a different ending. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we, uh, as we close our service this morning. You'll notice there are some stones, some rocks that are placed up here. I know some of you might have been thinking this is live feedback. We can throw stones at the preacher, well, if we don't like what he's saying. But this is actually an opportunity for each of us, an opportunity for each of us to remember what God has done. And as we do that, we are to remember that he is not done. So as our worship team is going to play, I'm going to ask each of us to spend a little time in prayer, to close your eyes and bow your heads if you're comfortable with that, but to spend a little time in prayer to say, God, I would have never made it through that situation without you. I don't thank you enough for the time that you led me through this thing or that thing. God, I remember what you have done this morning. I remember you are you, you are God, and you are powerful and almighty. I remember those things. And whenever you feel comfortable, and if you feel comfortable, you don't have to do this. You're welcome to come up here. There are two stations here as well as a station in the back of the building to come up and to pick up a stone, and there's some pens right next to this stone, to write down one or two words that will remind you of the miracle, the hand of God in your life, that will remind you of the places in your life where God has blessed you. Write that down and I hope you'll keep that with you. Throughout the week, maybe you'll keep it in your car, maybe you'll keep it in your home, somewhere where you can see it and remind yourself. God is good. God is faithful. He is loving and kind to me. He is so careful to take care of my every need. He is a miracle-working God. And if you remember that day to day, then we will fulfill what Joshua 4 asks us to do, to remember that the Lord is God. He is powerful. He is always worthy of our fear, too, and and our love. I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me today. As we pray together, I ask that you would think of those moments in your life where it is important to remember. To remember what God has done. Most of all, to remember that he has not done. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we give you thanks for your presence and for your wonderful love in our lives that leads us and guides us day by day. From our Jordans to our Jerichos, from miracle to miracle, you guide us, Lord. And we thank you for all of those moments in our lives that... We often forget the blessings you've given us, the homes you've provided us, the jobs you've given us, the the safety to and from places, the, the ability to worship you in freedom, the breath that we have in our lungs, the health that we have in parts of our bodies. Thank you for every one of those things. And we remember, God, that if it was not for you, we would have none of this, Lord. And God, this morning, I pray that each one of us would have an encounter with you that reminds us that you are not done with the things you did in the past, but that you are still working, that you are still going, that you are still able. God, help us to see that in our lives as well. We give you all the thanks and the praise and the worship. And as we worship you now, God, help us to remember. Help us to stand amazed. Help us to see you in awe and wonder of all that you've done and to remember because you are worthy to remember, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go, to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T-Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.